This is going to be a real Eurovision is not a political contest drink situation. Hello and welcome to the EuroWhat, episode number 167 for the week of September 6th, 2022. We are a pair of Americans trying to make sense of the Eurovision Song Contest. I'm Ben Smith, and I'm joined today by Mike McComb. Hey, Mike. Hello. This week, we'll be celebrating Eurovision New Year 2023 and talking about defending champion Ukraine's history at the contest. Mike, is that new intro music? It is. Well, it's new to most people. We started using it over on our Patreon podcast, and we both really, really like it. So, uh-huh, it's, it's good music. Enjoy, <laughs> yeah. enjoy the new music, everybody. It's our new theme tune. Yes, yes. And I mean, it's also the start of our sixth season. So, I thought it was a good idea to kind of switch things up a bit. Yeah. Happy Eurovision New Year. Happy Eurovision New Year. New people may be joining the podcast at this point, since I saw a lot of questions on Twitter of being like, why, why are people saying Happy New Year in September? Yeah, because like right now is everybody getting their paperwork in order, letting us know, yes, they'll be in Eurovision next year. There's a few announcements of here's our selection format, and it's the same selection format from like the last five years. So cool. It's a lot of organizing our spreadsheets, which is really, really nice. Uh, I've I've been using that as a way to relax during my downtime because I am fun. But (laughs) like my love language is also spreadsheets. Ah, excellent. Uh, So yeah, and then uh, for the rest of 2022 for this show, we're still going to be dropping episodes every other week, digging into various Eurovision adjacent topics and also catching up on the news. In between episodes, we are at EuroWhat on Twitter, also at EuroWhat on Instagram. We're on Facebook. If you do facebook.com slash EuroWhat, I think that gets you to our page. <laughs> we're not we're not as active on Facebook, I'll be honest about we're, that. We're technically on Facebook, but we're not like super on Facebook. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash EuroWhat. That's where we get to kind of like two degrees of Eurovision <laughs> Association. Our next episode is going to be about the movie Xanadu. So if you want to get in on that, head on over there and help support the show. Okay, yeah, let's dive into some news. So uh, like we said, it's it's very much heavy organizational times over at EBU headquarters, but we do know the rules for 2023. Yay! Yay! Uh, yeah, there is a maximum of 44 countries, which means a maximum of 19 per semifinal. And they are continuing to allow pre-recorded backing vocals, but no lip syncing. I think it's interesting that they raised the maximum number of countries. Last year, I believe it was set at 40. That may have been a COVID protocol thing or like just a like Turin, like we don't have enough room for 44 countries if 44 wanted to participate. But I don't see them getting up to 44 this year. Yeah, like I don't feel like that was the extra push Lebanon needed to finally be like, yes, we're doing it. Yeah, there are quite a few countries that have not participated in like the last decade. Like mm-hmm. uh, it's been a while since we've seen Slovakia or Turkey, Hungary still not interested. Russia and Belarus aren't allowed to participate, so I'm not sure where they're going to be able to find enough countries to get up to the 44 if even if they wanted to. But it's great that they're planning for the future and and like a possibility that hey, we now have 44 countries that want to do this. In the wave of announcements of countries saying whether or not they're going to be participating next year, Romania indicated interest, and they 
alluded to it in their press release that permission slips are due September 15th if a country is interested in participating. And then the deposits that they have to pay to actually participate are due in October. So we should be getting at least a preliminary list of countries participating in the next few weeks. Yeah. And then over in host city where news, we know that we have the seven finalists. It sounds like the full bids for those UK cities are due September 8th. So in the next week. I'm hopeful that all seven cities are going to submit bids on the Eurovision website. They're putting together videos highlighting all of the host cities. They've been releasing one each day and, uh, until their demands are met. And then uh... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like and like like clockwork every day, I see the little alert in our Slack. I'm just like, it's happened. They picked one. And it's no, no, they're literally just showing you the third video of seven, Ben. <laughs> Man, it, w- it would be so such chaos if they were just like, oh, just kidding. We're just going to say it's Birmingham right now. Bye. (laughs) The thing that's been very funny for me is that Netta is sort of whatever the opposite of Puxitani Phil is in terms of determining the host city. And uh, she said it's going to be in Manchester. So we'll see. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So many disappointed people yesterday uh, retweeting that. It was like, (laughs) it's like, it's funny, like, as a meme, just because like, oh, like, it is a coincidence that has happened but it it does feel a little mean-spirited like it really feels like Netta's become a punching bag and i don't do not understand why yeah i don't i don't fully understand why but i do just love that just historically incorrect about what city the the show will be in maybe this year it'll break the curse so you know what yes (laughs) maybe this is the year there's been a lot of stuff on like us tv that's been eurovision related which i'm kind of surprised about Sarah James, who competed for Poland at Junior Eurovision last year, uh, she was in the semifinals for America's Got Talent, a show that we only watch when this (laughs) sort of story pops up. She sang a singing competition version of Elton John's Rocket Man and won over the judges, the audience burst into confetti, all of that. Uh, So she (laughs) moves on to the final, which will be taking place on September 13th. She will be one of, I think, 10 contestants in the final, and whoever ends up winning gets a million dollars and a chance to headline America's Got Talent Las Vegas live at the Luxor Hotel and Casino. The phrasing of a chance to headline makes it even worse to me. Not not even a guarantee that you will headline, just sort of, we'll, we'll talk about it. I mean, I have to imagine that that's based on the sort of acts that are on AGT, like if it's like a dog jumping through hoops act. I can't imagine that being a compelling headliner that the Luxor would want to be contractually obligated to. (laughs) Contractually obligated to have the show for it, yes. I I also just appreciate the very evocative prose you put in our show notes of singing competition version of, or just like, oh, I can can just mentally picture the runs. It wasn't so much run-heavy. This was much more of the slowed-down minor key version it actually wasn't that bad like we'll have a link to the video in the show notes and like as, as these sort of things go because again like america's got talent is not my bag uh no like it was it was a good performance and like she she is a very talented singer so i am rooting for her but i am not going to watch the show i will find out the day after if she won i will i will watch our google <laughs> alerts exactly yes what is manskin doing The one thing that I did watch, though, against my better judgment, was last week's VMAs. Did you watch any of that? 
I did not, uh, but I am glad that you did because I do want to know how the Monoskin performance went. Oh, goodness. Uh, well, before we get there, Monoskin were nominated for three awards. They were nominated for Best Alternative Video, Best New Artist, and Best Group. Uh, all of this was done by audience vote. They ended up winning the Best Alternative Video VMA, but it was an award that was awarded like outside of the ceremony. So like we got to see photos of them accepting the award, but no speeches or anything like that. Best New Artist, that one was televised. That went to Dove Cameron for her song Boyfriend. And then the Best Group, that went to BTS because... Because I know how internet voting works. And also how K-pop fandom works. Exactly. Like, the, I think it said on the screen that this is the fourth year in a row that they won. So it's like, okay, yep. <laughs> yeah, but that, yeah. It, it really was an honor just to be nominated. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Towards the end of the evening, Monoskin did get to perform. They were doing their latest single, Supermodel. Yeah, it ended up getting censored for most of the performance because Victoria was wearing like this sort of half tube top thing and one of her breasts was outside of it but had pasty on it. Yeah, I guess it like popped off or something. Like it's called a wardrobe malfunction, but just based on like her uh social media content, I think it was just really more of a just like, yeah, I just find pasties uncomfortable. Like it, it's totally fine. But yeah, MTV just has a problem with uh female presenting nipple, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yes. And which is really bonkers. Throughout the rest of the VMAs, it was butts all over the place. And like <laughs> like naked butts, shaking butts, uh gratuitously large twerking butts. A celebration the prince's get off performance from 1991 yeah yeah but it's just like some of the animations were like unsettling in how gratuitous the budding was <laughs> and then like also simulated sex acts on stage like all of this is totally fine but you know female presenting nipple somebody please think of the children uh-huh. so <laughs> it's before the watershed <laughs> i think it's just well after 10 p.m in chicago so like well after the watershed and it's cable like it's basic Mm -hmm. cable so that doesn't even really apply like this is all internal standards but yeah it's just like such a mess and annoying there is a version where you can actually see the stage performance and everything that needs to be blurred is blurred it's it's just i don't know very annoying in the year 2022 Mm -hmm. um but it was a good performance other than that so Good for them. And like they they got like a really lovely write up on Tom and Lorenzo for their their red carpet. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like it looked like they were having a great time. It was just such a weird ceremony. I was gonna say the VMAs are just deeply weird now. I have no idea who the audience is supposed to be for the VMAs. Like you think it's supposed to be like teenagers and college students like that age bracket. But so many of the presenters and celebrities that they brought in were people that were famous when I was in high school. And it's like, no, that really does not seem like who you're going for like why why is Cheech and Chong here it's just so disjointed and and like with the ads it's just like who are you advertising to like I I should not have been able to identify as many people like on the VMAs as I was able to it's like oh I am vaguely aware of almost everything that is going on here and I am too old for that to be the case <laughs> something done broke Snap is happening. Yes. It finally broke into the Billboard Hot 100. Uh, it was on the bubbling under chart for a couple of weeks, but apparently it's been doing like really huge numbers everywhere, not just on the Billboard charts. There was one article that said that it's been featured in almost 900,000 TikTok videos, which is just a staggering number to me. Um, yes. And yeah, it's also been getting a whole bunch of streams on Spotify. 
It crossed the 100 million streams threshold about a week and a half ago, and it's only the 12th Eurovision song to cross that mark, which kind of surprised me. And it's the most streamed song from this year's contest. It's now also crossed into the top 10 of most streamed Eurovision songs ever. It passed uh, Brivity a couple weeks ago, most recently passed Think About Things. Uh, If it maintains the pace that it has now, which is about two and a half million streams per day, it should catch up to uh, Heroes, the 2015 winner, in about two weeks. Then there's a pretty sizable gap before it gets to the next couple of entries on that list, which are Euphoria and Waterloo, which are pretty much tied at this point. But uh, yeah, I mean, if that pace holds could be near there by the end of this year. We will continue to watch that space. Congrats, Rosalind. All right. So with the Eurovision New Year, Privit, Los Cabo Prosimo Ukraino. Hello, welcome to Ukraine. We've got an unusual situation this year where we've got Ukraine as the winner and the UK as the host. And you and I decided to switch things up because you are the Ukraine stand between the two of us. But I'm doing the research this time. Yes. <laughs> and I'm excited to learn new things. I, I, I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of stuff that is going to be new information. I'm very excited to hear it. So the last time I did a country deep dive was Turkey. And I gave myself the task of listening to like 30 something years of Turkish entries. It was much easier this time around. But let's just start with some facts. Ukraine is the second largest Eastern European country after Russia. It became independent from the Soviet Union in 1991, which means it is the youngest host nation we have talked about on the show. As I pulled stuff together and looked at what was going on behind the scenes with the history of Ukraine and Eurovision, it's also the story of Ukraine continuing to find its national identity apart from Russia. Ukraine really understands the power of Eurovision as a tool of soft power and how Eurovision and music and culture can promote an image on the world stage. So I listened through all of their entries And there is some real connective threads of what they really like to send and appreciate sonically. Ukraine has participated in Eurovision 17 times. Ukraine has qualified for the Eurovision final 17 times. The only time they have not been present in the final is when they haven't been present in Eurovision as a whole or Eurovision itself has not happened. Hello 2020. The worst they have ever placed in Eurovision is 24th. They have been in the top 10 11 times of those 17. That's a lot. Oh, wow. Yeah. They have been in the top five eight times out of those 17. That's wow. a lot. Uh, and they are the first Eastern European nation to win three times. On a less serious note, they have two separate references in Love, Love, Peace, Peace. Yeah. <laughs> they are both the man in a hamster wheel and a battle horn of some kind. They also have now taken the crown for the most points earned by a single performer. Ihor from both Goa and Kalush Orchestra has 995 points earned. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't think that's going to be topped anytime soon. So let's talk about their history in Eurovision. Ukraine's first entry into the contest is 2003. And somehow, apocryphally, I had had the mental impression, and I may just be conflating two nations, that there was a three-year plan for Eurovision of we're going to go, we're going to win, and then we're going to host. And I can't find any proof of that anywhere online. So somehow that's just something my brain made up. In 2003, the contest is held in Riga in Latvia. That's also the first time that NTU broadcasts the contest live in Ukraine. Uh, Their entry gets described as Freddie Mercury meets Enrique Iglesias, and yes, that is correct. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that, that, that is a pretty fair description. They debut in 2003. In 2004, the contest is in Istanbul because Turkey won with Every Way That I Can. Wild Dances sort of picks up Every Way That I Can's ethnobanger baton and runs with it. Every nation gives Ukraine points. Oh, wow. Yeah, and like if you look at the total counts, the second place 
entry that year was Serbia and Montenegro. And they're pretty close, but they don't have points from every nation. That is one of the years where the contest is getting longer because we have so many nations participating and the math is literally half of the show. Ukraine is the last to give the votes that night. And by the time that they're giving their votes, it's very clear that they have won. Like, hello, we're all going to vacation in Turkey next year. Thank you so much. (laughs) Between Ukraine winning and Ukraine hosting, the Orange Revolution happens. This is going to be a real Eurovision is not a political contest drink Drink. situation (laughs) Uh, because Ukraine hosting just really seems to pair nicely with the nation generally being in unrest. I'm going to try and give a super high level overview of the Orange Revolution. This is absolutely going to be incomplete. People have written dissertations on this and I have like 17 more years of history to get through before we're done today. So I didn't want to be here for three hours and have a bunch of visual aids. Ukraine wins Eurovision in May of 2004. Ukraine has an election in October of that year. Their election is coming down to a Kremlin-backed candidate and a representative from the R-Ukraine faction of parliament. It's been a really heated atmosphere. Viktor Yushchenko, the R-Ukraine candidate, suffers dioxin poisoning in September 2004, a month ahead of the election. Oh, jeez. Yeah. The initial election happens in October. Neither candidate wins decisively, so there's going to be a runoff vote in November. That runoff vote happens and is widely believed to be corrupt. There's all sorts of election stuff happening, and it ends up in favor of the Russia-backed candidate. The Ukrainian people do not like this. In December of 2004, the Orange Revolution happens, and they take to the streets to demonstrate, they protest, they have sit-ins. It's the dead of winter, and upwards of a million people are in the streets protesting. 18.4% of Ukrainians claim to have taken part. Wow. Yeah. All of this demonstration works. There are constitutional changes made ahead of the scheduled revote on December 26th. Parliament is going to have more power than the president. That revote is widely watched and scrutinized, but the R-Ukraine candidate, that's Yushchenko, wins. So all of this happens in the winter. On top of all this, there's a lot of stress leading up to the 2005 contest itself. The Palace of Sports is the host venue. It needs a lot of renovations, and contracts weren't really signed for that up until the spring. That, that sounds accurate. Uh- yes. Uh, yeah, uh, the, the co-owners of the hall, who are also boxing champions, are given parts in the show to gain their cooperation. Ticket sales were struggling. Ruslano was going to be a host, but she's not that well-versed in English, so she's dropped and does some green room stuff, and another host is brought in. But ultimately, the show must go on. So this is all of the backdrop for this. The 2005 theme of Eurovision was Awakening, because Ukraine was announcing itself on the world stage. And if you look at their entry from that year, like, it really feels tied into that. I'm going to send you a video. You may have seen this one already. So this is Green Jolly's entry from 2005. Razum Nas I caught and picked up on having now done all this research was the imagery of chains being broken, the OR shaved in the side of the one Green Jolly vocalist's hair. Mm. It very much feels like a celebration of what had happened. 
Game Jam, this is so 2005. Oh, oh <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, no, like any time that I have to go roughly 15 years back in terms of styling choices, it does psychic damage to me. <laughs> oh, the haircuts. Oh. <laughs> oh, yep, there's the letters in the hair. And... Yeah, this also has a lot of energy of being kind of a host country entry. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I have a difficult time seeing this navigating the normal revision selection process to get to this point. If you didn't have the advantage of not having to qualify. Yes, that, that totally makes sense. You can actually hit pause on that. Okay, uh, thank you. Like, <laughs> yeah, like we, yeah, you don't need to watch it's all fine. three minutes. So, yeah, yeah it, it's fine. It's funny that you note that it feels very much like a host entry. Razum Nas Bahato means together we are many. So again, very much a collective, we've risen over this. The process for that becoming their entry is also interesting. There are multiple rounds of semifinals happening to get to a final run of things. When we get to the final, there are 15 winners from the semifinals and also four wild cards. And this is one of the wild cards. Oh, really? It comes in and it wins the televote over Annie Lorak, who we will be seeing in a few years. But Annie Lorak got through the semifinal process and then Green Jelly just sort of like got put in the final. So she was not super happy about that. Lyrically, it was kind of fraught. This one needed to be revamped because it was openly derivative of an older revolutionary song. Uh, and also the lyrics could be classified as political propaganda. Revisions were made. The song was deemed acceptable by the EBU. This represents Ukraine at Eurovision, and it places 19th. They've been in the contest three years. That is their lowest position to date. Speaking of massive revamps between selection and the contest, in 2006, Ukraine gets back on track with the ethnobanger train that's happening. I had not realized how much Tina Carroll's Show Me Your Love had changed between its initial version and the version from Athens. Diving through the various Ukraine in the Eurovision Song Contest year pages, the song had a completely different name. I'm sending you a video now of I Am Your Queen. Please never tell me lies. I'll never say goodbye. You are king tonight. I am yours. Don't worry, babe. We'll be my life forever. You are my life. Don't need a dream. Don't worry, babe. Love you so much. You never. I will be yours. I'm your queen. Saying you and just sonically, this is so different. It feels really stripped back, too. It's just the vocals and like just one line of track like it's not as sonically rich as you'd normally expect from ukraine when it gets to the dance break that's when they do bring in like the traditional instrumentation and i feel like whoever was overseeing the revamp was like that that's what we should do for the entire song but yeah like it's weird it's just like her and the track gets a weird techno version I think that Show Me Your Love might be one of my favorite Ukrainian entries. The revamp version, just because like it's got like the, the sort of rich folk instrumentation. A very active performance as well. Ukraine is really, really good at picking vocalists. Powerful vocalists. They pick people who know how to sing, which is appreciated. In 2007, the Ukrainian national anthem happens. Dancing Lasha Tumbai, like that's absolutely Russia goodbye. We've talked about the legacy of this one already, so I don't want to spend like a ton of time on it. But like this song won Eurovision without actually winning Eurovision. It's always surprising to me how much it is referenced more than any of the other songs that have actually won Eurovision. 
Yeah, this song also just seems like it has a massive place in Ukrainian hearts just because that's one of the songs that was used to troll Russian radios this spring. So in 2008, Ani Lorak gets selected internally. She placed second in the selection in 2005, Shady Lady, which I believe is like one of your intro points to Eurovision. Yes, it is. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> Should I discuss that? Or? Yeah, let's. Yes, let's, okay. yes, let's. Yeah, so my gateway into Eurovision was back in April-ish of 2010. And there was a blog that I was following that did a review of the documentary Sounds Like Teen Spirit, which is about the Junior Eurovision Song Contest. And one of the videos that it that was included in that review was Ukraine's entry for, I think that was covering the 2007 Junior Eurovision. Ukraine's entry that year is a lot of fun. It's like this kind of crazy school teacher scene. After watching that video, YouTube's just like, oh, do you want to watch another Ukraine video of Eurovision stuff? And it's like, sure. Shady Lady came in and it's like, oh, this is very much my jam. Yeah. And then it just kept on offering more videos. I'm sure that evening I saw Dancing Lasha Tumbai and was, uh, and also their uh, 2009 entry. And uh, it's like, oh, this is very much catering to my interests and started digging a little bit deeper and going to Wikipedia and YouTube rabbit holes. And that's why we're here today. So, (laughs) Yep. Well, and like, I feel like 2007 through 2009 is Ukraine really having fun with staging. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they they have a budget. Yeah, Yeah, they have a budget. Although I will say with 2009, it feels like they're kind of all over the place. At the Ukrainian selection in 2009, Anastasia Protoko, during the semifinals, decides to perform a different song and claims she doesn't understand that the rules say, no, you need to perform the song that's going to be your song. So she gets disqualified. She's not happy about it. She goes over to Russia and Mamo becomes the Russian entry. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mamo becomes the Russian entry. She gets added to the bill of the Russian final pretty late. Like like that that was determined. And then in like March of two, of that year is like, oh, and also this one. Oh, man. Yeah. Anyway, so Russia sends Mamo. Ukraine sends Anti-Crisis Girl. Is Anti-Crisis Girl a fun song? Yes. Do any of the staging elements go with each other? Absolutely not. I still love that performance, though. I think it's one of my favorite stagings of all of Eurovision. Like, I, I totally agree with you that there's just, like, way too much going on and none of it connects. Okay, I, I've, I've posted a, a link to the video. Please tell me everything that's happening. Oh, absolutely. Let me, <laughs> let me click on that. So, and we're watching this whole thing. Oh. <laughs> Okay, so there's these three gears on stage and two singers on the side that are probably on stilts and uh, very long silver dresses. Yeah, the gears are starting to rotate. Yeah, there's like an internal ladder thing inside each of the gears. Yeah, and uh, Svetlana's very flexible. And there are these centurion dancers. Let's see, Svetlana's wearing this sort of red phoenix dress, like kind of feathery, uh, thigh-high sequined boots, which is a really good look. Uh, oh, man. And this is also like Russia hosting. So it's already going to be maximalist. And this is kind of maximizing on that maximalism. Okay, and the Centurions are uh, flipping her over. Yeah, it, it's... <laughs> no, none of this has to do with anything else. No, no, no element goes working. with any of the other elements. Yeah. 
This is a very physical performance, which you don't see all that often. And now she's over at a drum kit that has uh, two Ukrainian flags on it, which is another interesting element because you generally don't see flags on the stage. Pyrotechnics going off. It's uh, the overhead audience shots. There's like one section that is like, going nuts and everybody else seems to be sitting politely. I <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with the rest of the, with the rest of the audience here. Every stage element is being used. Well, and also, like, the other thing that I was trying to figure out when it happens and failed is that at some time between the Ukrainian selection and Eurovision, it ter- it changes from Be My Valentine to Be My Valentine, parenthesis, anti-crisis girl. Mm-hmm. And then my favorite element uh, coming up. Thank you so much! You are the best! Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, I totally understand why i would have kept on saying yes please every time youtube was like you want to see another one Mm -hmm. ukraine often has a lot of ideas for staging but doesn't always edit them Mm -hmm. and this is definitely a lot of spaghetti happening yeah (laughs) and like it's good spaghetti yeah oh it's delicious Uh yeah it's great spaghetti but also what are we doing yeah after this, 2010 and 2011 are just, like, weirdly stripped back. In 2010, you have Alyosha and Sweet People. Although Sweet People was not originally their entry for that year. The entry they had, they had to swap out due to allegations of plagiarism. Oh, all right. Yeah. It, it was apparently very similar to, like, a Linda Perry and Grace Slick song. Just going through the Ukraine in the Eurovision Song Contest year page, there's always a voting controversy section. 2011 also has some drama, but Mika Newton gets named their artist, and that one's notable just because Ksenia Simonova, the sand artist, who is doing all of the background stuff, later appears on America's Got Talent, The Champions, our favorite program. But that performance is so good. Oh, that performance I, yeah. is really good. Like, again, when Ukraine has, like, one very focused idea, it's a lot of fun, and it's very beautiful. Sometimes you get that, and sometimes you get 2012, and you get the When Love Takes Over rehash. Yeah, them. like, that one... I remember I wasn't very enthusiastic about it at the time. I think they did what they could because I think part of the intention of that one was they were hosting the Euros or some soccer football championship. And this was doubling as the theme song for that. Mm-hmm. Was that was did that come up in your research or my that did that not up? that didn't pop up in my research. But I would absolutely buy that like this. This song has to fit two different boxes. Gaetano's vocals are great. Ukraine loves a big vocalist. It feels like a weirdly off year for them. Maybe they're just like, we are busy hosting this soccer thing. We do not really have the time or budget to also host Eurovision. So we're going to do a good job. We're going to make the final, but we're not going to win. 2013, they come back and they place third with Gravity. That is a performance with a lot of ideas happening, but they're more focused. And they've got Igor Vovkovinsky, who is the world's tallest man, bringing their singer to the podium. Yeah, I I thought that performance had a lot of weird choices. Like, I agree that it is focused and that there aren't several elements on stage but the elements that they do have on stage i I still don't get what the story was i remember i was a huge cheerleader for that song at the time but yeah like 2013 is such a nah year for me (laughs) yes yes um one thing that as i was looking through the various pages on this and found something that felt very interesting but also it was classified with a better source needed supposedly there was a survey on the social network vk to gauge public opinion about possible changes to gravity and like it just sort of lists all of like 35 percent of people believe that the ending is strong as it is yeah or or things like (laughs) 69% of voters, nice, believe the beginning has to be more powerful. 
60% oh. believe a third refrain is required, with 45% advising that the third refrain should need more of a development. But again, like, better source needed. Like, this is just real weird. Wow. That's somehow much worse than designing by committee. Like, uh-huh. it's just like, oh, no, we need to outsource the committee that we are deciding this by. Oh, man. Here's what the survey said. The producers will take this under advisement. I don't believe it. No. Somebody put this on social network VK, but like, I don't think it was taken that seriously. If my memory serves, the original version of the song was good. And then I I think the revamp was an improvement, but like they were starting from a pretty strong position on that one. But oh, man, that that is so funny. Uh- <laughs> 2014, Ukraine sends TikTok, we get the man on a hamster wheel, uh, that becomes just sort of a love of peace peace thing, that becomes a Eurovision movie thing, but in less amusing news, Russia annexes the Crimean Peninsula, mm-hmm. and by September of that year, Ukraine confirms to the EBU that, hey, uh, we're busy, and we don't have money, so we will be seeing 2015 out. Uh, they still air the contest in 2015, and are like, this is a one-year-only thing, we will be back in 2016. In 2016, they send Jamala. Uh, and like Jamala's aim was very clearly from the start is connecting the 1944 deportation of the Crimean Tatars with what was happening in 2014 in Ukraine. And Ukraine is very good at being political in the Eurovision Song Contest without being explicitly political in their lyrics. Yeah, or explicitly like to the point where it trips the wire. They see where the line is. And they will make direct eye contact you while they put one toe over it? Yes. Yeah. This happens in 2007. This happens in 2016. This happens in 2022. So in in hindsight, it's not that surprising that they sent something kind of borderline political again, or, or at least tried to, uh, because it does seem to be their MO every, every few years. Re-listening to this song in 2022, and like we saw this when Jamala performed in the German final earlier this year, it's like, this is just massively relevant again. Yep. What's notable about this one is 2016 is when they first introduced the split of the jury and the televote, and 1944 wins the contest without topping either the televote or the jury vote. They get second in both. That was enough of a change, and just the fact that like it won without winning either of those, that there was a change.org petition that got enough signatures that the EBU had to respond. Oh, jeez. Or at least that the EBU chose to respond. Right. Uh, it got 320,000 signatures. The EBU released a statement, the 2016 Eurovision Song Contest was a spectacular show and a testament to a year of hard work. We understand the passions and emotions that are engendered through the Eurovision Song Contest. In light of this, we have taken notice of your petition and appreciate this opportunity to respond. Details the rules. Ukraine's Jamala won, thanks to broad support from both the juries as well as televoters. It credits both Dami M and Sergei Lazarev, the, the winners of the jury vote and televoting, and are just like, so we understand, but also no, Ukraine won. What? outcome would would be expected yeah it's just like wh- how what did you guys want us to do yeah like do you want australia to win because that's fraught do you want russia to win that because that's fraught. fraught yeah i mean it's just like there's that's not to take away from the fact that 1944 is a very good song it's a and... really good song and like does a great job of appealing to both the industry professionals that often make up the juries and the broad public that makes up the televote just talking about Russia being kind of fraught, uh, the Russia-Ukraine relations in the Eurovision Song Contest Wikipedia page has entered the group chat. Oh, geez. In 2017, Russia's entry for the contest is Yulia Samilova, 
who has violated a ban on direct travel to Crimea from Russia in 2015. So Ukraine's like, she she can't come to Eurovision. No, it becomes a big deal within the EBU. There's like a lot of mediation happening. There was talk of having her perform via satellite from Russia at the venue of their choice. But like, ultimately, Russia's just like, no, we will pull out of the contest this year. Mm. Uh, they send Yulia the next year to Lisbon. The choice of Yulia as a performer was pointed by Russia. That that, that was a, it's it's own whole deal and i think we did talk about some of that when they resubmitted her in 2018 i had no memory of the 2017 entry from ukraine yeah yeah i I have a feeling had i not been there i probably would have had to look it up to remember what it was yeah it is it is o torvald's time i have sent you the official music video which i believe is their performance from vidvir Mm -hmm. like there's some very cool performance choices i like how they have seemingly embedded a clock in all of the performers bodies through the magic of makeup but Oh boy, I do not remember that as, I just do not remember the song. I remember it was well received at the live show. But again, that was a hometown crowd, so that kind of makes sense. Uh, (laughs) It feels like very much a host entry of, this is something that is good, we do not want to host again, Mm -hmm. please do not give us points. Or, well, not, not do not give us points, but also like, we're good. It didn't have the same sort of winning spirit that some of their other entries had. Yes, uh, it places 24th. Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't realize it was that far down the list, but that is technically Ukraine's worst performance in the contest is this song. 2018, we have Melovin, he pops out of the piano, everybody loves it. Uh, and then 2019 is another year that Ukraine does not show up to the contest, and it's its own whole thing. But it feels very connected to both Jamala and to what happened in 2014, because that is when we get Hi, Maru. Welcome to Tel Aviv. So, I have very uncomfortable question to you. Crimea is Ukraine? Let's talk about that Maruv song, because that Maruv song is great. I have had that on playlists since 2019. Oh, yeah. It's so, so good. I feel like at the time you were saying that it felt like potential winner material. Oh, and yeah. Like, I still stand by that. Oh, no, yeah. no, no. I have, I have joined you on that team. Like, it's great. I think it would have done very well. The whole situation around it is obviously Russia and Ukraine, still very fraught. In particular, asking if Crimea is part of Ukraine. Uh, Jamala is asking some very pointed questions of the participants of Vidbeer. In addition to those tensions on the show, the contract for the winner of Vidbeer is also just heavily restrictive. Uh, Maruv was asked to cancel concert dates in Russia, was told if she improvised on stage or communicate with journalists without broadcaster permission, she'd be fined essentially the equivalent of a couple million dollars. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Uh, so she has 48 hours to look over that and choose to sign or not. She refuses to sign because it's very restrictive. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ukraine's like, cool, we'll talk to second place. Second place refuses to sign in solidarity. Ukraine's like, cool, we'll talk to third place. Third place also refuses to sign due to solidarity. At that point, Ukraine withdraws from the contest. Yeah, that whole situation was just so... Grim is not quite the right word, but yeah, like just thinking back to those video performances, every single judge contestant interaction like after the performance was like an inquisition mm-hmm. towards the end of the show you could just see contestants be like i don't want to sing right now because I, then i have to go through that <laughs> and yeah i mean it was interesting to watch but i don't think it was fun for the participants <laughs> yeah and like i had said at the top of discussing this Ukraine at Eurovision is also the story of Ukraine finding its voice independent from Russia, and right now their identity is, we are not Russia. Following this whole kerfuffle, Vidbir updates its rules to bar artists who have performed in Russia since 2014 or have entered Crimea in violation of the legislation of Ukraine from entering the competition. That will be important in a few years. 
2020, knowing that those are the rules. Go On makes a lot of sense as their selection. It feels very much in touch with traditional Ukrainian folk music. It also feels very new. It's it's a synthesis of a lot of threads of what Ukraine has been sending. Also, that was a year where it really felt like the mandate was we need to send the most Ukrainian entry possible. And uh, there were a couple of other contenders there that were really dipping into the history of Ukrainian music and Ukrainian-Russian tensions. That was a rich field to dig into if this is a topic of interest for, for you. like de- Definitely check out the 2020 Vidbeer process. Unfortunately, the contest gets canceled. Uh, we get that delightful performance of Dancing Lasha Tumbai from Goa out of it as as part of like the home parties ultimately 2021 happens it's an internal selection goa will be representing them again shum will be the song and shum itself goes through that massive revamp uh and then finally we arrive in 2022 and their artist was going to be alina posh but then there's that whole crimea thing mm-hmm. and we kind of covered all of this live so i don't feel like we need to rediscuss it but ukraine is very serious about that clause of who is representing them it would not surprise me if they continue to be very strict about who represents them given what is going on and given everything this year kalush orchestra steps up as, as the second place winner and goes on to win the dang thing in turin that is ukraine's history in the contest in terms of their selection process they did internal selection in 2003 and 2004 uh, this is when they were still on ntu 2005 to today, even with the swap over to UAPBC, has been Vidbeer. Sometimes Vidbeer has a name that's not Vidbeer, but it's very clearly just Vidbeer. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2008, they selected Annie Lorik internally, but they still had a Vidbeer for their song. Uh, but yeah, so Mike, what is your favorite Ukrainian entry? So I really had to think about this to the point where I used the sorter that we use uh, <laughs> when we're making our picks for who we think are going to qualify out of the semifinals. <laughs> there are a lot of entries here, and Ukraine is usually at or near the top of my list every year. I was actually kind of surprised by the results. My top five are Shum, Shady Lady, Wild Dances, 1944, and Dancing Lasha Tumbai. If I didn't do the sorting thing, I probably would have said Shady Lady, just because I really do see it as like my gateway into this whole Eurovision thing. But Shum is everything. <laughs> no, no, Shum is just real good and synthesizes a lot of different threads of what I like in Eurovision. Mm-hmm. I really like Tina Carroll's Show Me Your Love, but no, Shum is probably also up there for me. It brings in the rich history of Ukrainian music and Eastern European sounds, but also has all of the fun shouting and techno things like Atari. It's looking to the past. It's looking to the future. It's very much in the present. And then also taking the stage performances into yes. account. It was a fantastic staging of that, that was song. Ukrainian staging at its best, I think. Just like a very focused idea with a lot of really rich elements to look at. It's interesting to me that Stefania is in the middle of the list for me. And that feels right in a way. Kind of like the dividing line between like the great Eurovision entries and the good but still not as great uh because that's kind of where I still am with Stefania mm-hmm. at the at the time when it was selected as the entry it's like yeah this isn't really my favorite Ukrainian entry and I'm not surprised that it won but it's still it's just like mm. it feels like the Oscar for years of very good roles even if the specific role it's winning for isn't necessarily the one you think it should have been for. Yeah, this is Meryl Streep for Iron Lady. 
Exactly. Because Shum was just transcendent and won the televote fair and square. Uh, but yeah, like Stefania, really good. And I, I feel like it's doing a lot of the same things as Shum. And that's maybe why it doesn't feel as fresh. It's, it's sort of braiding together multiple different things, but still very deserving. And like, again, they are a nation that has, that if they come to Eurovision, they are in the final. Looking over this list, there's really not anything where it's just like, uh, yeah, that didn't really deserve it. Like, I mean, even the 2017 entry, even though we were like both saying that it was kind of forgettable among this list, like this is a very difficult list. So- something has to come in 17th place, you know? I was also trying to think of what are my hopes for Ukraine in 2023? I think primarily I just want something that really feels like it brings that same sort of like what you said about Goa of drawing from the past, looking to the future and being very much in the present as well. Even though it doesn't seem like it, there is still a lot of time before they make their choice and have to actually make their final decision. They're doing their selection in December this year. They don't have to make a final decision until March. A lot can change in the next six months. And Mm -hmm could be a song of celebration. It could be something like their 2005 entry. It could be another Stefania-type entry. It's going to be really hard to predict what they're going to present. But I think that's always been part of Ukraine's magic. Like, you just don't know what you're going to experience when you're watching Vidbeer. It's like, all right, I know I'm going to like what I hear. I'm going to be delighted. I just don't know how yet. So. <laughs> yeah, like, I uh, after watching Vidbeer this year and just being like, but these are all so good. How, how can they pick just one? Especially in the face of what was happening just over the border. I'm very excited to see what comes from this. And like from the show itself, I would, I, I'm really hoping that there is a deep sense of Ukraine, even though the UK is hosting the party. I, I think that's the part that I am most curious about, because that was one of the issues with 2017 and possibly 2005. Neither one of us was following the contest at that point. We don't really know the mechanics of what was going on. But like with 2017, uh, everything was really pushed to the last minute and they had to like kind of parachute in Sweden to be like, all right, we need to get this show going because you have six weeks before <laughs> souls begin. Yeah. I think having that kind of arrangement from the start, like, I mean, 2017 was still a very Ukrainian show and in, in, in its presentation. And I think this could be a much better and more focused version of that as long as BBC allows for that to happen. So, yeah. Yeah, but I am hopeful that it is going to be just as much, if not more, of a Ukrainian production than a United Kingdom production. This was delightful. I'm so glad that I had the opportunity to dive into this because, like, I've long been asking myself the question, like, but how is Ukraine so good at Eurovision? And now I have a slightly better idea of that. They understand the maximalism and how to make it easy to digest. That's going to do it for this episode of The Euro What. Thanks for listening. The Euro What podcast is hosted by Ben Smith. That's me and Mike McComb. That's me. You can support the show at patreon.com slash Euro What or leaving us a review on your favorite podcast service. Show notes are in the description of this episode and on our website at eurowhat.com. If you'd like to contact us, we're at eurowhat on Twitter or you can email eurowhatpodcast at gmail.com. Next time on eurowhat, we'll do a deep dive of our host country and talk about the history of the United Kingdom at Eurovision. Thank you.